hour number three of the Bill Michaels Show underway. By the way, we were talking about the racetracks here real quick, just in comparison. Permanent seats at Road America, over 150000 Acreage for non-permanent seating at Road America, 650 acres. Now, you may say, okay, what's that in comparison to? You can put 500,000 people plus inside um, the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and they're over 100 acres less than Road America. That's how big Road America is. So to say it couldn't hold that many people, the sexy part of it, I agree. But to say it couldn't hold that many people, you're crazy. You're smoking rope. Uh, let's do this. Uh, joining us on the hotline, our good buddy Pete Doherty from the Green Bay Press-Gazette uh, to break down uh, the Packers draft and get his thoughts. Pete, how you doing? Good, Bill. How are you today? I am good. Um, first of all, when you started watching the draft unfold, uh, give me some of your reactions, some of your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, we all saw those uh, receivers falling off the board. And when it got to about, I don't know what it was, 15 or 16 there, I wondered, one of the first things I wondered was whether they would trade up to try to get Burks if they felt like they had to do that, and they didn't. And then when the pick came to 22, I knew Walker was on their radar, but with Jermaine Johnson, the rusher from uh, Florida, uh, Florida State. Yeah, he was still on the board. I thought, I really thought they'd take him because that's a premium position. Um, but they took Walker, which tells you, you know, how high up he was on their board for, you know, whether they're right or wrong, or we'll, we'll find out in the next few years. But they obviously uh, really like the guy's talent. When you look at the team and what they satisfied needs and depth when it comes to the defensive side of the football. Uh, they did get Christian Watson, which we all know they needed receivers coming into this thing. Uh, but the fact that they grabbed Devontae Wyatt, they grabbed Quay Walker, they bolstered that defense, they got deeper on defense. Right move for the fact that the, a lot of the top wide receivers had already come off the board? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about it. And, you know, I mean, none of us are scouts, and even the scouts don't really know. I mean, look at all the picks teams miss on every year. I really thought they would come out of the draft with two pass catchers in the first two days, whether that was two receivers or a receiver and tight end. And really, I thought even with the first those first four picks, so the first uh, two rounds, but you know, even a third rounder, I thought at minimum they they do it they they do that, and they didn't. Um, so that was a little bit of a surprise. They paid a big price to go up and get Watson. I mean, they could have drafted two players that you know. 53 and 59 are traded up just a little bit from each of those spots to get, you know, receivers, tight ends, what, you know, whatever. So they gave up a lot. They gave up an extra shot at a, at a good player to, to get Watson. So, you know, he's, he better be good. I mean, they need him to be good and they need him to play right away. Um, I never really get, I've learned to not judge drafts too much because there are things you can criticize or question, but you just never know how these guys are going to turn out. And, uh, so whether it was a good idea or not, we'll see. But they obviously, you know, they put a big emphasis on getting a lot better on defense. And um, they're going to need to be a top five defense next year to win the Super Bowl, I think. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I think defensively speaking, uh, you know, I, I saw articles all over about how to convince Aaron Rodgers you got to win with defense. And I, <laughs> I think when you're not going to have the same amount of weaponry as some of the other teams that are going to be vying for a Super Bowl, you better be able to win with defense. You better have a very, very stout defense. Now, Christian Watson and the guys that they brought in behind him, 
Does I, I still think there's another move that's going to be made before it's all said and done. Maybe it's after the June 1st uh, cuts, or maybe there's going to be a trade at some point. Do you get the sense that there's going to be another move along the way? Yeah, if I had to guess or bet, I would bet that he'll bring in, I'm thinking another receiver, yeah. Um, you know, they have, like, they have enough, assuming that these picks are at least okay, you know, they have enough NFL caliber receivers now you know to fill out the roster and have seven of them you know when they start the season barring injuries but they they don't have you know anybody who strikes any fear into defenses now Watson's speed is probably something teams are going to have to honor but they don't have a legit number one or maybe even number two you know probably not even a Mm -hmm. number two so they're not scaring anybody with their weapons now they have they have two really good running backs and their offense is going to change and those guys are going to get the ball a lot running and and in the passing game too and so they're going to look different but um so i i just wonder you know what can they get that will be any better than you know like sammy watkins for instance um they might have to do a trade you know and they might have to trade up i don't know like a future third round pick which is a lot you know to get somebody who would be an upgrade over over what they have and i don't know if uh gudekunst do that or not or maybe they'll get lucky and find somebody like Devondre Campbell again at the receiver right. position, although uh, I don't, I think the chances of that are pretty slim. I, uh, I look at uh, the Packers um, and their salary cap situation. You can't help but wonder at what point, uh, and I know Ward signed for a ridiculous amount of money with the Cleveland Browns, but at what point do they get Jair done? And then what is the realistic number now that that number has been blown out of the water by what the Browns have been doing? Yeah, you know, and I saw that deal, and I still think, you know, because Ramsey was making, uh, is making, I think it's it's, it's in the 20, it's, it's either 20 or 21, might even be 22, and so I think that's, I'm sure that's what Alexander was shooting for, regardless of anybody else's deal. Um, I think his cap number right now, because that tender, I think it's about 15 million, if I remember right, 15 or 16 million, so actually doing an extension with him, <clears throat> it'll cost him a lot of cash. Uh, tens of millions of dollars of cash, but they'll actually pick up cap room Mm -hmm. and they need it. They'll need it to make a move because uh, if you add in all the draft picks, uh, the practice squad, plus the money, you know, they like to have a $5 million or so cushion going into the season for in-season moves. They're basically right at their cap right now. So with Alexander, they could actually pick up like, I think it's like six or $7 million depending on how they structure it. Um, they could restructure Dean Lowry. I think Crosby too. They could do something, so they can pick up some room and and make room. And I I wonder, you know, I wonder if they'll go after maybe maybe they'll try to sign Jarvis Landry. I mean, he's getting older, but he's he's a pretty accomplished receiver. So maybe they'll end up with somebody like that. That's what I was going to ask. Is Jarvis Landry was looking for about twenty million bucks, and I know they can't afford that. But if Jarvis Landry's still sitting there, and I would assume that he's going to come down at some point off of his salary demands because he's not getting it and there's nobody calling him right now to say, hey, we got to pay you this amount of money. Please come to us. At, at what point do you say, if, 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 I put it this way, how much is Jarvis Landry then worth? You know, I'd, I'd have to take a hard – I mean, he's – I think he's like 29, so it's not like he's a young guy. He might even be 30. Uh, and he's, you know, he's been through the wars. He's, you know, his body's been beaten up pretty good. I don't know. I $10 million a year, and if they could do – a if they could just, even if it was just a one-year deal, so he could hit the free agent market next year, they can tack on those uh, those phony years 
um, you know, that after the season is over, the, the, those years go away and he'd become a free agent. So they could cut his cap number down to a manageable number. You know, if it's around 10 million, I don't know if, if, if he would take that or if, if, if that would get him, but um, that's just kind of off the, off the cuff. That's, that's my guess of what he could, uh, what he'd be worth. Talking to Pete Doherty, the Green Bay Press Gazette. You can find him at Pete Doherty over there on uh, on Twitter. Now, I I know Brian Gutekind said, yeah, you know, he should be ready, and you know, didn't say, oh my God, Bakhtiari's doing great. No, he's going to be ready to go, no problem. He sounded skeptical. Uh, he didn't sound as confident as I maybe maybe I wanted him to sound when asked about how well David Bakhtiari is progressing this off season. Did you get the same sense? Um, from his from the the tone that he had, I mean, I was in the room when he said it. From the tone, I I can't say that I did. Although I, I kind of see what you're saying because he did say, "But this is the NFL, and you always have to protect yourself." Which right. he did not say anything like that at the owners' meeting. So I get you know, I guess there there was that. And what's more telling is what they actually did. You know, drafting those three linemen. Now all three of them are going to end up being tackles. But um, I think that was you know a sign that there's you got to protect yourself in just in case the guy's not the same. I mean, that was one of the roughest ACL recoveries. I've been covering the team since 93, and that was one of the roughest, longest ones uh, that I've witnessed. So there there has to be some concern about how he's going to be going forward. Maybe he'll be fine, but, you know, you can't just absolutely bank on it. And they drafted, they drafted three of those guys, including, you know, one in the third round. So I think that tells you a lot about their – that they have at least some level of concern. Do uh, when when Aaron Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show that he's going to be there for the voluntary camps and he wants to get with the guys. Now we know he's going to be off playing golf coming up in June, but uh, you know the fact that he said he would be there and and has been there is that because that's probably that's a lot more obviously than we saw last year out of this during the whole drama. Is that something that's kind of the return to norm for Aaron Rodgers? And if you're a Packers fan, makes you feel good that he wants to get in there with the guys. Yeah, you know, it sounded like they were happy to see him pop into the office after he went to that Bucks game the the night before. It sounded to me from just listening to that interview on McAfee that he's going to sh- show up for at least a few of the OTA practices. Um, you know, plus the three-day mandatory mini camp. I didn't get the sense he was going to be there for all the OTAs. Um, I thought, I mean, I know the you know teams would much rather have the guy there than not have him there. This goes for any player. Um, and so, you know, I get that, and they do get work done. I kind of fall in the camp that even if he skipped, you know, everything but the mini camp, it wouldn't be that big a deal. Love needs all that work. They need to see as much of love as they can get. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I would think if, if he showed up for even one week of the OTAs, um, you know, I'd feel pretty good about that. If if I were the Packers, maybe the last one if, as the players, uh, as the rookies get to know the offense better. Like uh, LeFleur said, you know, he, he wants some of those guys to get some work in so that their first work on the team isn't out there with Rodgers. So they have a clue what they're doing when Rodgers, you know, does right. show up. I get it. I to me that was kind of one of those comments of saying, "Hey, you know, we'd rather have you smart and on the same page with Aaron, so Aaron doesn't get mad at you or something to that extent." But oh, yeah, it was basically, like, yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely what he was saying. Yeah, <laughs> right? like, come on, man. You know, Rogers doesn't have a choice at this point. I, I, he really doesn't. I mean, he's got to throw to the guys 
that are there. He, he doesn't have a choice to say, I can only focus on Devonta because I trust him. This whole thing, and I said this all along, look, if he comes in for the mini camps and he works with these guys and such, no problem. But you can't just come riding in on the white horse, come training camp, and then all of a sudden midseason go, well, I, I don't trust this guy. Because you don't have that excuse anymore. You, you, you can't. you got to be able to get there, get on the same page. This is when you build a relationship and start throwing to these guys and figuring out what they do well and what they don't do well. So come season, you know what you're doing and you know who to trust and when to trust them and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I, I agree completely that a lot of all of this is going to fall on the coaching staff and Rodgers to bring these guys along, especially Watson, as absolutely fast as possible. And Rodgers is going to have to be more patient and be more of a teacher than he's ever been in working with these guys. And it's incumbent on him to make this work. They're paying him 50 million bucks a year for a reason. And one of those reasons is to make the receivers they have better. So I, I agree completely that his approach is going to be as crucial as anything to how these guys, uh, to how these guys develop. I mean, I'm, I'm with you all the way there. And I mean, look, you know, look at, you know, Brady won a lot of games with some pretty mediocre receiving cores over in New England. He had some good players at some years, but there were other years where he didn't. And, you know, Rodgers is going to have these two good running backs. You know, I don't know what you thought of it. What did you make of the – what was their record, 7-0 and without Adams? Uh, without Devontae Adams. You know, they'd much rather have him than not. And against the best teams, he, you know, he'd, he'd be really important and he would occupy defenses. I, I'm not saying they're better off without him. But this will be an interesting study. In I think there were times that he forced the ball to Adams. I think that the fourth quarter and that last – couple drives of the playoff loss of San Francisco, mm-hmm. there were yep. obvious examples of that, and more than just the, the deep ball. Um, there was a throw to Cobb where, or I guess it wasn't to Adams. There, no, there was a throw where he had, uh, he looked, he almost got sacked, and he looked at Adams even though he was double-covered the whole play, and by the time he came off him, he got chased out of the pocket and had to throw the ball away. That was in the, the, the drive with the, the punt got blocked. So there was a couple plays, and I'll be really interested to see how this offense functions when he's playing just more by the book and has to just, you know, run offense as it's called and throw just to the open guy. Cause there's always that push and pull when you have a great receiver, you know, you want, you got to get him the ball, but when are you forcing it too much? And I don't know that seven and no kind of, it does make you wonder how, you know, if, if, um, you know, maybe this will bring out some of the best in Rogers to just play the offense, uh, you know, the way it's drawn up. I One, I completely agree with you. I think in the last two playoffs games that have been lost at Lambeau Field, especially in vital moments, I get it where you want to go to the guy you trust, but when the guy you trust – I mean, I like the fact that after the game, San Francisco, their defensive coordinator said, we knew he was going to Devontae, so we just put two guys on him. We, we knew what he was going to do. I mean, that's as telling as anything when the defensive coordinator says, yeah, you're not even going to look at anybody else in those moments because you don't trust anybody else. So I agree with that. I also look at the statistic of being undefeated without Devontae. One, who are you playing? And two, it's regular season. It's not postseason. When I look at the postseason and I think of the weapons that Cincinnati had and the weapons that L.A. had going to a Super Bowl, and now you don't even have a true number one, that kind of scares me because when you talk about Jamar Chase and company and OBJ and Cooper Cup and everybody on the opposite side, they had some serious weapons, and the Packers don't have anything close to that right now, which really makes it hugely incumbent upon Aaron Rodgers to, one, like you said, teach these guys, but to, two, 
Look everywhere and work the offense, I guess, if you want to say the way it's supposed to work. But you're going to see it's going to be also on Matt LaFleur as a play caller and a play designer to make this thing work too, right? Yeah, that who they played when Adams was out is a, is a really important point because like they beat the best team they beat was Kansas City, but Mahomes didn't play that game, so that's not playing right. Kansas City. And the record of the rest of them was I think 500 or less combined. I mean, so that that is that is a, a really good point. The one thing I'll say though is in that Super Bowl, now you're right, Cooper Cup's a great receiver, and the Packers don't have Adams, so it's not quite the same. But the Rams were pretty much wiped out of weapons except for Cooper Cup. They're their top couple of running backs were out. Beckham got hurt in that game. Um, I think their tight end, didn't he miss the game? Uh, their, mm-hmm. their, their best tight end. I think he didn't even play that day. So when they went down and scored on that last drive, all they had was Cup. He was their, he was their only weapon, and they made it work. Now, the, the, the receiving weapons are not there for the Packers like they have been. And, you know, part of that is, you know, Randall Cobb's taking a roster spot, and you know, he's not the player he was. I mean, he would not be on this team if if Rodgers didn't want it. So, you know, who knows who might have been, uh, who they might have acquired to play that spot. Uh, and the other thing is, it's going to be the running backs are going to have to be a huge part of this offense, including, you know, in the passing game. And um, yeah, it's up to Rodgers to make this work, and it's up to Joe Barry to field a defense that is in the top three or four in scoring defense. Always a pleasure, Pete. Good stuff. And then uh, once the mini camps get going, we'll touch base again, okay? Sounds good, Bill. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Pete Doherty, the Green Bay Press Gazette. Good stuff there. You can follow him at Pete Doherty, D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y, at Pete Doherty over there on Twitter. Coming up at the bottom of the hour uh, for the Journal Sentinel, Todd Rosiak is going to join us. Uh, we're going to move things around a little bit. Todd Rosiak's uh, actually, at the ball, uh, actually at the ballpark as the Brewers get ready to take on the Reds in the, uh, the final game of the series and go for the sweep there. So we'll talk to Todd Rosiak covering the Brewers. And then also later on in the next hour, we're going to talk with Kevin Holden from CBS 58 as well. So stay tuned for that. This portion of the program brought to you by our good friends over there at Skipper Buds. And at Skipper Buds right now, they've got all kinds of boats coming in. Call them 262-544-1200. Call our buddy Todd, 262-544-1200. See for yourself all that they have to offer. A lot of good stuff over there. Again, 262-544-1200. As a, he, he's the guy that makes the deals over there. He's the guy who can get it done. So give him a buzz over there at Skipper Buds. Check it out for yourself. More of the Bill Michael Show coming up. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is The Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Glad to have you back. Hey, today, uh, I didn't even mention it, but it is Cinco de Mayo. And uh, I just saw, the only reason I, I kind of came topical, uh, you get so involved in the show, uh, is I saw our friends over at the Sunset Grill in Pewaukee. They've got some of their bartenders all in big sombreros today, enjoying the day. Uh, so if you're going to be heading out and uh, you want to watch the Brewers game or Maybe, uh, just maybe, maybe uh, some of the NHL hockey coming up later on tonight. Or maybe you just want to go get some good food and sit by the lake. Check out Sunset Grill in Pewaukee. Sunset Grill in Pewaukee. And uh, stop over and tell them. Uh, Bill says hi. And, uh, again, ask Trish if she still has her leather pants. Ask Trish. You'll, you'll, get a, you'll get a smile. See, Bill Michaels wants to know if you still have those leather pants. Seriously. 
Ask her that. Good stuff. Uh, 877-867-1670. 877-867-1670. Mark wants to know, do you drink Modelo on Cinco de Mayo? No. No. I I don't change up what what I drink. Now, I may, later tonight, may do one margarita. I may do that. Otherwise, I don't really change up a lot of my drinking habits. I just don't. But because uh, I, it, I, you know, there's certain things I like. I mean, I like Modelo. It's okay. But I, I'd much rather have a, a Bud Light or an Outboard from MKE, maybe a good cider, something like that. Uh, I had some Angel's Envy last night, bourbon, which, by the way, my mistake, I had uh, said that a, a friend of mine had given it to me, and I was mistaken. Uh, because our buddy Tom from the Boondocks Barbecue and Grill had given it to me. And we had a bunch of different bottles of wine and bourbons and stuff that were given to us uh, during our party a couple of weeks ago. And I always tell people, don't bring anything. And people do. It, it's just, I get it, because I would do the same thing. But I always say, seriously, don't have to bring anything. Let us supply it, because we've got so much. And we just want to share it. But uh, I I'd said mistakenly last night that my buddy John Attlee brought it, and it was Tom, uh, our buddy Tom over at uh, uh, Foolery, over at Boondocks Barbecue and Grill, who brought it to me. And thank you, Stacy, for bringing that to my attention. I appreciate that. Um, so, no, I don't really do the Modelo thing, or I don't do the Dos Equis thing or anything like that. My buddy does. He drinks Dos Equis all the time. But, nah, not me. Just going to do a margarita maybe later today. That's about it. Nothing crazy. Are you a Cinco de Mayo fan, Ben? Um, I mean, in elementary school, we would do a little celebration. I don't know. I don't drink on weekdays anymore, so I can't say I'll be celebrating. I'm also working late tonight. We have Kenny and Halpern at six o'clock. Oh, that's right. That's right. So basically, if you want to make a night of it, you can catch the Bud Light live stream, the happy hour live stream tonight at five until like, you know, five thirty, five forty, whenever we feel like we're done. And then get that 20-minute reprieve. Go do what you got to do. Maybe head to the bathroom. Make yourself a margarita. And then sit down, relax, and, and get the respite in prior to uh, Kenny and Halprin tonight. How yeah. about that? As, as we get hammered and talk about the future of college athletics. That's a banner evening. Who do you got on tonight? Do you got a guest tonight? Um, There is a mystery guest. I'm not going to go out and announce it until I, if something falls through, I don't want to put it out there and then have it not come true. Um, right. But we should be interviewing someone coming up in the next hour or so, and then uh, I will say who it is. But big-time mystery okay. guest, I will say. All right. I hope your mystery guest shows. I am confident I he will. Okay. We got to get your mystery guest on our program. Got to figure something out. I am trying. That is in the works. Yeah. Uh, maybe figure something out. We, we got we to gotta break bread or something like that. We got to got to do something got to figure this out uh 877-867-1670 if you want to hit us up again 877-867-1670 uh keith says uh do you get a big hat for the derby and does Kristen? Kristen's out looking for hats all the time doesn't matter if it's derby or not i are, are you and ben i already know your answer but just in general are people do you is the derby now becoming an event i mean Honestly, I, I'm playing golf on Saturday. I might not watch it. I've never been a big fan. It's cool when they do the race, but the three hours beforehand, I don't like it all. So Right. Uh, I, I, I think to me, this is just my opinion, I think it is just the ability to dress up 
go out and have some fun and drink. That's it. I don't think the majority of people that legitimately go to these parties, I don't think any of them, maybe other than like Zandon or Epicenter or Messier or something like that, other than that, you don't know the horses that are in it. Unless it's a really, really, really unique horse. You know, nobody knows the horses that are in it. I don't think any, nobody cares about horse race. They just, yay, I bet on something. Yay, what horse do I have? And they look and, oh, that's the one I bet on. Yay. And But it's just, and that's okay. That's okay. It's just another reason to party. That's okay. Because that's what it's become. Derby Day is like the springtime version of Halloween. It's the only difference is it's day drinking that starts you off really, really early. So by the end of the night, you've torn your suit, you've torn your dress, you look like you're a mess, your hat's down over your head, you're a mess. So there you go. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to do some uh, Brewers talk. Todd Rosiak, Brewers coverage uh, of the General Sentinel, going to join us. Stay tuned. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends out there, J&L Tire Service, Lyle and the gang, fantastic people. They do even better work. You can trust them, and they do great deeds in their community right off of 94, just north of 94 at Johnson Creek. Go to jandltire.com. That is jandltire.com. Whether you're a soccer mom or you're driving over the road in a big rig, they can handle it all, everything in between, jandltire.com. More of the Bill Michael Show, Talking Brewers, next. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show. On the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Michael show rock it on about an hour and a half left to go uh, before we get out of here don't forget the uh the half hour live stream coming up later on tonight we'll be live at road america coming up at five o'clock let's go out to the ballpark shall we our uh, buddy todd rosiak from the milwaukee journal sentinel joining us on hold todd how you doing man hey what's up unit so uh, first of all I-, I looked at the statistics 44 runs 51 hits, 14 home runs in the last five games at American Family Field. Uh, For a team that didn't hit the ball very well to start the season, and we had some concerns, boy, have they turned things around. Isn't it amazing? All the social media I got, all the tweets early in the season, fire the hitting coaches, what's wrong with these guys? They stink, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just it's baseball, you know? I mean, we were talking about the start of the season that was affected by the late start in spring training. Uh, you, you were acclimating the two new hitting coaches to a team. Uh, the hitting coaches were not able to speak to the players throughout the lockout, so you got a late start there. You know, you've got cold weather. Pitching is traditionally going to be ahead of hitting in the early part of the season anyway. But, um, you know, things are kind of evening out now. Are, are the Brewers going to be scoring 18 runs a game every game moving forward? Of course not. There's going to be dry spells coming up as well. But, you know, from top to bottom, this is a pretty deep lineup. It's a pretty varied lineup. 
Uh, they've got great balance between left-handed and right-handed hitters. Um, they've got some good on-base guys. They've got power guys. There really is everything you need to uh, consistently score runs. And, of course, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt matters when you're playing, uh, you know, bad teams in consecutive series like the Brewers have been, the Pirates, the Cubs, and now the Reds. Uh, things are going to get a little bit more difficult this weekend in Atlanta, but I think overall you're seeing what this offense can be and probably should be, uh, which is a more consistent run scoring unit moving forward. Um, let me let me go back. Um, we were talking about this yesterday. So the Reds are in town, and, and now part of it is the Reds pitching stinks. They can't throw strikes to save their lives, and when they do, it's usually up and out over the plate, and it, they're getting pounded. So we all understand that, but. Derek Johnson and Lee Tunnel both went there. They had a ton of success in Milwaukee. They're not having the same success in, in Cincinnati, obviously, and most people are blaming them for the problems that they're having pitching-wise. Uh, while you've got different hitting coaches every year for the Brewers, the Brewers have started off slow. Sometimes can you look at it as a systemic thing rather than just a coaching thing? Like, you know, David Stearns and, and Craig Council rely so much on the analytics and on matchups and such. Can you look at it as more sometimes it's not necessarily the coaches, but maybe more so it's the system in which they're playing? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's the players that the coaches are given, and you know, you you reference Derek Johnson and Lee Tunnel. I mean, yeah, look at look at what they have to work with in Cincinnati right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're they're they've traded away some of their guys, some of their best guys, including Sonny Gray. Uh, some of their other other uh, really good pitchers have been injured. Uh, they've got COVID mixed in too. It's it's just been a mess for them, and you you can only coach what you have. So in terms of the Brewers. You know, they did not make significant changes to their lineup, the, the, the pretty much the same lineup that had been struggling in 2020 and 2021. Yes, you had uh, Andrew McCutcheon, which, which is a big add, but by and large, you've got pretty much the same, uh, the same cast of characters. And, you know, when you look at uh, underachievement, everybody, of course, looks at uh, Christian Yelich and just the fact that he has not been able to get back to that player that he was in, 2018 and 2019 and of course they're working tirelessly with him trying to figure those issues out and he has looked better overall uh, in the early part of the season he's driving the ball a little bit more consistently he's at least been hitting the ball hard consistently Um, you know if he can if he can carry that over and do it for longer stretches I think the Brewers would feel more comfortable obviously this offense would probably be in an even better spot than it was but by and large, if you look at the numbers, uh, you know, that this offensive unit has put up um, over the course of the season here now, uh, and especially over the last week compared to where they were early in the season, it's night and day. And, um, you know, if you're a Bruce fan, obviously you're hoping uh, that you have more more series like the ones, one they've put up so far against Cincinnati and more nights like the one they put up last night. So uh, we were talking earlier, uh, MLB put out, MLB.com put out who the early MVPs are for each team. Josh Hader got the nod for the Milwaukee Brewers, and you can't argue with that. Corbin Burns has had a tremendous start. Talk about Rowdy Telez, though. Pound for pound, $1.94 million. I mean, this guy, for what everybody else is doing and the amount of money that's been spent, I was one of those people preaching, hey, I think they need a power hitter that can play every day over at first base. Rowdy Telez is having a hell of a season, and I take away last night because even before that, he was having a hell of a season. Yeah, and for, for Rowdy, it's really all just about opportunity. Um, you know, he's he's talked pretty consistently about 
the fact that this is really the first time that a team has has believed in him and given him the opportunity to play pretty much every day, um, which is uh, with Toronto, it's not surprising because who is he playing behind there? Vlad Jr. And that, you know, obviously he's going to play every day at first base. So the opportunities were, were limited for him there. But, uh, you know, the fact that Rowdy can, can hit left-handed pitching pretty consistently and pretty well definitely helps his cause. And uh, I think you're seeing, obviously, the, the, the byproduct of, of a talented player who is also really confident right now. And, you know, obviously everybody knows he can hit long home runs, and he's a pretty good hitter, too, aside from just the power, and moves pretty well at first base for such a big guy, too. So, um, you know, you mentioned the money that he's being paid this year, really a bargain. And uh, we'll see if he can stick there long term because we, as anybody who's followed the Brewers knows, uh, it's, it's been really a long time since the Brewers have had a guy at first base that they can, you know, that they can count on. Uh, you know, you, you may want to um, count Jesus Aguilar in that mix, um, Eric Thames, but really those are kind of the only two guys that, that really made any kind of dent in that position since Prince Fielder left after the 2011 season. So, to get a little stability there um, on the corner would be would be very big for this team. How big is it to get Urias back? And, and I, I say that, and some people go, ah, come on. It's like, no, this guy really, uh, going to the postseason last year, solidified defensively the third base spot. We saw a spectacular play the other night against Cincinnati on Tuesday night uh, that he made when, on his return. I mean, I, I think it's a big note to get him back into the lineup. Yeah, it's very big. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I like to uh, joke about social media. It was about a year ago at this time that everybody had already, you know, cast their final votes for the trade that brought Eric Lauer and, and Luis Urias to the Brewers. And the Brewers were, you know, easily the loser in that trade, giving away Trent Grisham and Zach Davies. Well, you know, look at it now. Eric Lauer is not only uh, – you know, one of one of the best left-handed starters in baseball right now. He's one of the best starters, period, in baseball. It's crazy how good he's been. Uh, and then you look at Urias, who, you know, was brought on board as, as kind of the heir apparent at shortstop. That obviously didn't work out. The Brewers traded for Willie Adamas. Urias slides over to third base and has just been a great fit there. Um, you know, he's, he was a consistent run producer for the team last year. And, uh, you know, you add him to that lineup this year, and all of a sudden it's, it becomes that much uh, longer, that much more dangerous. And uh, when he, when he uh, you know, kind of rounds in the form and is more comfortable at the play, he's kind of the guy who's, who's capable of hitting 20 homers. And the other part that, you know, probably gets lost with Urias is, you know, he's a guy who's valuable in that he is the, uh, he's the backup at shortstop for Willie Adamas, who started every single game so far this season probably needs a breather at some point here. And he's also, um, you know, the primary backup at second base to Colton Wong. So he's a guy who wears multiple hats and, and wears them well for the Brewers. Uh, real quick, before I let you go, I, I do want to ask you about Christian Yelich. Uh, last week, we we're talking about a guy hitting 180. This week, he's hitting over 220. He's risen not only in batting average, but in home runs. Uh, he's also taking balls better, and he's making contact. There was a big article about his power and, and, and you know exit velocity and such. Do you see, because a couple of years ago when I saw him, I said, man, just something didn't look right. Do you see him back to looking right um, I mean, 
it's it's hard to really know what right is because when you look at you look at what he did in 2008, the second half of 2018, and then all of 2019 until he got hurt. I mean, this was, this guy was arguably the best hitter on the planet, and just playing out of his mind. So, do you use that as a baseline then moving forward, or do you use the Christian Yelich from his years with the Marlins, who you know was a, was a pretty solid performer? Um, you know, wasn't MVP caliber, but certainly you could do much worse uh, in the outfield and left field than, than Christian Yelich. So, um, you know, the, the old saying is sometimes the truth lies somewhere in between. And obviously I think at this point, everybody would be happy if Christian Yelich could get back to that Christian Yelich uh, that he was with the Marlins consistently. Um, you know, that's that's not necessarily – uh, great news for a team that's in, that's paying him $26 million now moving forward for the next seven years uh, because they were banking on the fact that Yelich could maintain that level of play that he had, uh, you know, during his MVP year in 2019. But, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a consistent work in progress. Um, you know, clearly he's been frustrated with the way he's played, the way he's hit, but um, you know, he continues to, to work at it and, you, you know, you'll never hear a bad thing about his work ethic and his approach to the game. So, um, you know, that, that second half in 2018 really kind of came out of nowhere. Who knows? I mean, at some point, maybe he rediscovers something and, and gets onto another prolonged hot streak and, and can kind of rediscover that magic. But I, I really do think that for the, for the Brewers to reach their full potential and for this offense to reach its full potential, um, you know, they, they do need to get uh, much more production out of Christian Yelich uh, on a more consistent basis. Todd, great stuff, buddy. Go back to the game, and we will talk to you soon, okay? All right. Sounds good. Take care, Bill. Appreciate it, pal. There you go. Todd Rosiak of the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and he is down at uh, Great American Ballpark where uh, the game just uh, getting ready to get underway. If it hasn't, yeah, it's just got underway, as a matter of fact. Uh, this portion of the program brought to you by our friends over there at New Mail Medical, treating guys with ED all over the state. And when you talk about, uh, you know, being able to help guys, the All-in-One Weight Loss Program continues to get better. Uh, I just got the call today. I'm going to go back on the plan. I've been on the first one, the first phase of it, and it did well. I, I dropped about 13 pounds, which was fantastic. And it was I didn't work out as much because I've had some aches and pains, and I'm not – relatively accustomed to, but uh, the All-in-One Weight Loss Program has some new facets to it. It's working. It's been really, really good. I want to get really into, you know, kind of swimsuit sh- shape, so to speak, or at least T-shirt uh, shape for the summer. And then also uh, they can help you with vitamin supplements, uh, low testosterone, all that kind of stuff. So check out our friends at New Mail Medical. Call them. All the locations, 414 455 4451 again 414-455-4451 stay tuned more of the bill michael show next Ready? this is the bill michael show on the wisconsin sports zone radio network Enjoying this day today. I'm anticipating later on tonight, too. Get off the air, head north, head up to Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Got the happy hour live stream coming up tonight. Going to talk some more racing this evening. And if you have questions, by the way, and you are a race fan and you listen to the program, if you have some questions and you want to uh, ask, 
go ahead, and we'll try to answer your questions tonight as we sit down and chat with the gang up at Road America. So we're looking forward to that. Five o'clock on the Happy Hour live stream, which is going to be on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube is the best way to get it. Go to youtube.com uh, slash Bill Michaels Show. You can subscribe for free. YouTube.com slash Bill Michaels Show. Subscribe for free. And uh, you can also find us on Twitch TV coming up tonight. So the Facebook fan page, The Bill Michaels Show, you're good to go. All that kind of stuff. There you have it. Uh, break up the Reds. They're up early. Adrian Hauser struggling. Two outs in the first, already down three to nothing. Not the best of starts for Adrian Hauser. There you go. Uh, 877-867-1670, 877-867-1670. Got some emails that I want to catch up with because uh, we have somewhat neglected that today. And my apologies to all of you who put time in to email us. And our buddy Steve says, by the way, Yelich, my apologies for breaking the one email a day rule. But after you spoke about Yelich raising his average, I did some research. And here's what I found. The last seven games, his average is 348, on-base percentage 464, slugging 652. Nice week. You are correct. You are correct 100%. He also said uh, earlier, rowdy, rowdy, rowdy. What a game for Rowdy Telez last night, Grand Slam. Uh, and it was a no-doubter the moment it left the bat, which I told you it, it hit way up on the UW uh, credit union sign. Straight away, center field. I agree the Brewers are playing craptastic teams, but they're also winning the games, and they are doing it the way they're supposed to do. It's good to see the crew get out early and get out of that season funk that they were in. Let's hope they can compete, uh, complete the sweep this afternoon. On a side note, I uh, spoke about Toronto fans giving the Aaron Judge home run ball to the young Yankees fan. I saw on Yahoo this morning that Aaron Judge actually had the fans involved Meet him in the dugout. Wow, what a class act. Yeah, if you haven't seen that already, uh, thanks, thanks, Steve. Appreciate the email. If you haven't seen that, um, it is, uh, it's kind of a viral video, and I saw it on ESPN as well, and I saw it on MLB, uh, the MLB network. But Aaron Judge, the little boy that got the ball from the Toronto fan and then broke down in tears and hugged the guy, uh, Aaron Judge brought him all down to the dugout. Brought them all into the dugout and uh, and had pictures taken with them and let them come down on the field during batting practice and everything. It was, it was really a cool moment. Really a cool moment. So if you haven't seen it already, absolutely. Uh, this one's from Joe. Joe says, hey, unit, love the program, listening in Tomahawk. Uh, when are you coming back to Tomahawk? I, you know what? I keep saying, get a hold of Greg up there. Uh, Greg, at, I can't remember the, uh, the call letters off the top of my head, but uh, we were on the uh, station up there for a long, long time. Get a hold of Greg. Say, Greg, just come on. Come on, man. Come on, Greg. Uh, so anyway, uh, he goes on to say, I think the Brewers have batted their way out of their own slump. Do you think they can keep this going? Uh, their numbers over the last week have been unbelievably impressive. Everybody seeming to hit. Your right hitting is contagious. We all know the old saying, but will this be able to sustain throughout an entire season? I think not. Well, not like this. You're not going to score 18 runs a game. Come on. I just mentioned the statistics. In the last five home games, uh, I was just seeing this uh, over on the television, uh, the Brewers have put up 44 runs, 51 hits, 14 home runs. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, right? By the way, Christian Yelich uh, hitting two twenty six, batting second today. Urias leading off. Adamas 
at short, batting third. Rowdy Telez uh, batting fourth on a Renfro and on down from there. But uh, Urias leading off today. There you go. Uh, this is what else do we have here for you? This is uh, from Mantonio. Mantonio says, uh, hey, unit, love the racing talk. Uh, do you think that Formula One would just miss Road America because of the glamour or because of something? And uh, we already talked about that. Um, look, F1 likes the they like the glitz and glam. The racing at night down the Vegas Strip, the racing in Miami on South Beach, you know, the racing in Texas. The, as much as I love Road America, and I think Elkhart Lake is an unbelievably beautiful town. Um, I, I don't. I think they're looking for the glitz and glam that is the city to put their circuit on the map in America. And while that, the, the race course itself is spectacular, who knows, maybe someday. We'll talk about it tonight when we uh, do the Happy Hour live stream live from Road America. We'll get into that discussion a little bit and see if maybe they are trying to be wooed to come here, say, middle of the summer, something like that. It's pretty cool, though, that NASCAR comes here on Fourth of July weekend. That's That's badass. I like that. I like that big time. That's pretty cool. Another hour yet to go. Kevin Holden from CBS 58 coming up in about 15, 18 minutes, something to that effect. Stay tuned. Got a lot more. Another hour. We'll be back right after this. The Bill Michaels Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.